the Forward Together podcast from Hollywood Trust with Paul Gosling and Jared Dean. Welcome to episode 11 of the Forward Together podcast. My name is Jared Dean, joined by Paul Gosling. Hi, Jared. So, Forward Together podcast produced by Hollywell Trust, a community relations organisation from Derry. And what we're doing is having a conversation on a number of the main issues that are facing us here in Northern Ireland and having a conversation that is forward-focused and looking at possible solutions. And the solutions were talked over for this episode, Paul, with Alexandra Dilatori. That's right. Uh, Alex uh, coordinates the next chapter on behalf of NICFA, which, uh, as most listeners will know, is the community representative body for Northern Ireland. Mm -hmm. And uh, Alex is by background Colombian, which means that she has a a welcome, um, more independent view of Northern Ireland than perhaps people who've been born here. Yeah, okay. And some of the things that uh, Alex was talking about then... um, I suppose, talking about the fundamental role that civil society has to play in peace building. That's right, and very much about the role of women. And uh, Alex Mm. makes the point that women were key in bringing peace to Northern Ireland. Uh, But in her view, uh, women, although we have women as party leaders, uh, Alex raises the point to what extent do the women who lead the parties represent broader women Uh, within the structure of Northern Ireland and her view is that we need to find ways in which women are stronger and that after all is involved with her work for the next chapter about breeding, uh, enabling women to take leadership roles within business, within social organisations and across society. Okay and she feels there's an obligation then to engage with women from all backgrounds. That's right. And I think the point that Alex is making is that while we have women in strong positions within Northern Ireland politics, they are typically quite middle class by background. Mm -hmm. And I think the point that Alex is making is that we need women to come from all parts of society, uh, including, you know, the, the people who were not necessarily born from Northern, within Northern Ireland, people not from the traditional backgrounds within Northern Ireland, but also working class women. And we need to actually have a stronger representation of women across the class spectrum. She goes on to mention that the rights of women seem to be recognised more or have been recognised more through transitional justice initiatives as well. Um, that's right. Uh, and, and she's very strong on the issue about how we create a, a more just society, but also how we uh, enable women f- who have other uh, other challenges in their lives. Mm. So, for example, women with disabilities and the uh, LGBT community. And, you know, we need to w- find a way that we, we don't lose sight of our desire to have a more equal society as we try and em- embed peace. OK, well, let's hear that interview with... Alexander and I. How do we strengthen civil society in ways that enable us to make progress, do you think? Well, I think it's fundamental for civil society to create spaces where there is room for everyone, spaces that are inclusive, inclusive to women, inclusive to any minorities, inclusive to, to people with disabilities, um, or sexual orientation, and all the sec- um, um, Section 75 uh, groups. But it's also fundamental to provide the resources and the accessibility to have these opportunities. I think civil society in Northern Ireland had played a fundamental role in peace building. I think at the moment the challenges that Brexit is bringing to Northern Ireland are going to be huge and civil society will have a fundamental role to play in this. 
um, talking more specifically about women, women in Northern Ireland have, have a massive role in civil society. Uh, they have been a massive role being activists and the peace process and also in peace building. But I think the roles have been, been recognized or not enough. And what the next chapter is doing as a project is to try to empower women and bring these voices back to the public life. And also to provide some spaces, genuine spaces for women to participate in public life fundamentally. Uh, just to clarify, this project is funded by Peace4 and it's a partnership between uh, Politics Plus, which, which is the lead partner organization, and Enigma and Irish Rural Inc. And uh, clearly women were very strongly powerful in the creation of the Civic Forum, if we go mm -hmm. back to the Good Friday Agreement, and that has ceased to function. Uh, so how can the movement that led to the Civic Forum be recreated in a sense? I think there is something going on out there in terms of women's participation. I think we are in a stage where women are realizing that they need to go back to the public affair. They need to make sure they, their voices are heard. There are a number of fantastic programs, uh, programs and projects at the moment um, to support women's participation in public life. But what is fundamental at this moment is that we are in a very different society. Um, I mean, 30 years on the Good Friday Agreement, we still don't see how women are getting the benefit of that agreement. Even though in civil society it has been great, even though women were on the table of the negotiations, but at this stage, women need more recognition. Women need a real and genuine space where they can bring their concerns as victims of the conflict, as activists, or or even to be able to, to, to develop their leadership roles in this new Northern Ireland. And you say women can develop roles in leadership in Northern Ireland. In fact, of course, three of the major political parties are led by, by women here. Mm -hmm. So women within the political system have reached the top. But does that, to what extent does that reflect women's engagement more broadly in civil society? Well, if you see the recent um, data about women's participation in public life produced by the Northern Ireland Assembly, I think was produced last week, still we are very, very low in numbers, especially in those positions of leadership and positions on, on senior management. But it's still very low. And even in the boards... In some boards, there are no women. We also have, yes, we have two women on the top of politics, but the question is, as these two women representative, repre are they representing other women or are they representing their male-orientated politics of their political parties? So there are two very different things. One thing is to have critical mass, because when you have critical mass, you can't see, you can't see things changing for the better for all of us, not only for 50% of the society. So critical mass is one. Number two is having women that can represent also the interests of other women and can benefit other women. In Northern Ireland, we don't have child, um, child care strategy policy. Universal, um, universal child care doesn't exist here. But it's happening in the UK. Why is not happening here? And still we have women in power. So it's not enough having women in power. It's enough having 
sufficient number of power and also having women that will also work for women. And are there structural changes to our society that can assist women to have a, a stronger role in civic society but also actually strengthen civil society itself? I mean, how structurally should things change? Well, I think if you look at the statistics, basically, um, whenever you go to the senior leadership positions in civil society organizations, the majority are held by women, which is great. But we cannot say that this is where we want all women, only in civil society. We also need women in other spaces of, of decision making. I think what this project in particular is doing in the next chapter is creating the grounds for a group of more than 600 women to go out there and conquer all spaces, not only civil society, also to go to the government, also to go to the private sector. This is what we really need. I, I, I have been working in, in, in the voluntary sector since I came to Northern Ireland, and I, I love it, and I will stay here, certainly. But I do think that we cannot restrict one sector for women, while the other sectors are totally unrepresented in terms of women's, in terms of numbers, but also in terms of how policies can be more gender friendly. So perhaps at this point it would be useful if you say a bit about how the next chapter is working to support women to be more engaged with society. Well, this is a very genuine program, a very comprehensive program that tries to cover all areas of leadership. So one part of the program is what we call the chapter life. It's a number of chapter meetings where we have... 10 chapters across Northern Ireland and the border counties of the Republic of Ireland. So basically in these chapter meetings, we bring facilitators, inspirational women speakers that can talk about their journey into politics and public life. We also develop as part of the chapter a community project. It's a project that is led by women, by the participants. They decide what they want to do. They plan it. They make a proposal together by consensus and then put it forward. The other part of the program, which is fundamental, is the capacity building program. It's a training program of about, uh, it started in September last, last year, and it's gonna finish in June. The program is made up of four modules. Each module basically try to address different aspects of women leadership and how the political engagement can be more effectively made. We did one, the first one was about the women's roles as champions of peace building. The second one was decision making, um, politics, politics and public life. The third one is about communicating, developing a powerful voice and it's very much about how do you project, how do you use your image, your body, body language to pass a message. The fourth one, is last one, is communicating with impact. So. Each of these modules provide women with the knowledge, with the skills, and basically the confidence to do the big step to go forward and, and try to join um, boards of directors or try to join politics or run for elections and or occupy even position of leadership in civil society or the voluntary sector. As part of this capacity building program, we have the one-to-one -one coaching and mentoring, and it's for each participant of the training 
to decide how they can enhance their leadership skills and how they can develop better you know their own skills towards um, getting a position of leadership and the other part is that we have a number of networking and peace and reconciliation events where basically we bring together women from all the chapters and we try to encourage them to know each other but also to share about their own experiences and the final part is basically what we call the Young uh, Fem- Female Ambassador Forum, which is going to start this year, and it's trying to bring together very young um, ladies that can basically face politicians and, and, and develop their own interests, their own leadership, but in a context where they will be exposed to political activity. So the the objectives of the next chapter include getting more women onto boards to get them into more senior positions across civil society and in the business yes. sector as well and in politics. Yes. And and how do you see that uh, connecting with the rest of Northern Ireland society in ways that will change it? Well, we want to change culture. We want to change the way that we as women take part of society. Things are already happening. We already have a number of women that, through the next chapter, have realized that it is important for them to participate. So we already have some chapter participants who are running for elections in the Republic or who are joining board of directors. So it's happening. Now, I think the project um, has specific targets, but beyond the targets, the main thing is being able to inspire and to influence this group of women to make the biggest step. Okay, and and uh, c- clearly one of the objectives of your project is to work t- to create a more genuinely shared and integrated society. I mean, how do you see that broader process taking place? Well, if you look at the composition of the chapters, the groups, um, we have women from all sorts of backgrounds. One of the targets of the project, or the aims of the project, was to be able to engage with women in rural communities, and we are doing that. We have, as I said, we have 10 chapters, some of them are run in specific rural areas. The other part of it is that we also wanted to engage with women um, from ethnic minorities. There is a massive underrepresentation of women's participation from ethnic minorities in any sorts of spaces of leadership, and we're targeting those as well. We also um, have the aspiration also to engage with women with disabilities, and we have a group as well. Women from LGBT, we have a group as well. So we are really uh, women from both Catholic and Protestant communities, women from the traveller community. So we are really, really tar- trying to target all sorts of, of, of women. And bringing all of these women together is also a challenge. And it's, just, it's an amazing experience because they also learn from each other. Some women prefer to live and work in their own specific areas demarcated by cultural identity, but when they come to the chapter, they have the opportunity also to meet women from other communities, women from any minority, women from disabilities, and the discussions during the chapter meetings are amazing because this is when you bring everything together, and this is when we all learn from each other. And what's your perception about the extent to which society here is separated and how to address that separation more broadly? 
I think as I said at the beginning, more broadly, we need to create those spaces, genuine spaces. And what type of spaces? Well, this ideal of the civic forum was perhaps the best idea in terms of creating an infrastructure where all communities could come together. But in the current context and with the challenges that are going ahead, are going to happen with Brexit, I think that public forum or civic forum could be so handy to have something like that at this moment. Um, when I say creating spaces, it's just providing also the resources for those spaces. In many instances, civil society organizations are creating those resources, those spaces with their own resources, and they are underfunded, and they are under-resourced, and even though they are playing a role that needs more people involved, and, and the government is specifically more involved in this, I think um, the role of NIGVA is one of those spaces that provides opportunities for communities to come together and learn and talk, but we need more of those. And I think we need something more, more, more established in the sense that has some sort of political backup and have some sort of institutional backup. And the idea of the Civic Forum initially was all about that, having that structure for civil society to have a meaningful say in society. And to what extent do you think um, shared and integrated housing and education is part of that? Well, I worked in shared housing many years ago, and uh, I have to say that at that time the housing executive was running a program called the Next, um, the Shared Neighborhood Program, and I had perhaps the privilege to work also as a, as a cohesion officer in that program. And that meant a big, massive step towards understanding shared housing and towards realizing that it was possible. At that time, Jennifer Hartman, who was the community cohesion head of the housing executive, had this amazing vision, and she was the champion of that. And even 13 years ago, 12 years ago, when talking about shared housing was of no way. She was determined that it can happen and it was possible. So we need more women and more people like her that are in leadership positions in institutions like the housing executive to be a champion of that and say it is possible. It was challenging. It was a very difficult program to run. But after 10, 12 years, you realize that it's been paid off because housing associations are not talking more anymore about housing estates. They are talking about shared estates. Um, the concept finally is dipping in this, into society, which is great. I did work in integrated education. I was a um, um, development officer at the NIC, uh, the Northern Ireland Council for Integrated Education. And I think integrated education is the way forward. I don't think that integrated education excludes our other cultural identities. I think integrated education enhances in an amazing way all our differences. It enhances and celebrates um, all communities. I think integrated education is one of those spaces where you see it that is happening. 
Um, one of the beauties of working in integrated education is that you see it every day, constantly. When you go and work with the teachers, when you go and work with principals, when you see what the children are doing in the school, and they are simply working and learning and sharing a space together. We cannot have anymore this divided society, and integrated education doesn't go against choice, parents' choice, it doesn't go against cultural identity, all the opposite. When you go to an integrated school, you will see that both communities are being celebrated equally, where children have the opportunity to say what they are and what they want. And it's, it's, it's such an amazing space for children to grow and learn together. Perhaps the next challenge for integrated education is to incorporate all of these policies, initiatives, also to integrate children from minorities. And, of course, if we're dealing with the current uh, symptoms of division, we also have to recognise that one of the challenges in terms of creating a more integrated society is how we deal with the difficult questions, yeah. one of which is how we deal with the past. I mean, what's your view about how we should deal with the past in ways that don't threaten the, the current and the future? Well, <laughs> dealing with the past in a post-conflict society basically means that you cannot ignore anymore the rights of the victims of the conflict. Whatever your definition about who is the victim of the conflict, you have to be accountable to what is his or her story. I think um, the peace process in Northern Ireland, with all my respect, managed to get two communities together, two political sides together, but it's only now that the peace process is really happening, because it's only now with the rights of the victims are being recognized, or at least doing an attempt to be recognized. There is a gender element of this. I seen, uh, I did my PhD on the role of civil society organizations in peace building, and I did look at the issue of the role of women during the conflict. And until very recently, women didn't, didn't feel, or at least this is what I captured in my interviews, that they were victims of the conflict because they weren't necessarily engaged in violence, or, but they had to suffer the consequence of family lost, partners who were imprisoned, and all these day-by-day day, situations that they have to deal with. But in so many years, they just say, well, this is what I have to do, and that's it. But that is part of the discourse of being a victim, when your everyday life changes because of a conflict. And some women's organizations are doing an amazing work trying to bring these stories back into oral history programs or oral history projects to basically to recognize and to also to let know society that those women were also victims of the conflicts. And I think whatever you do in terms of transitional justice to try to accommodate systems within the political system to accommodate the needs of the victims and also to move on, you need to provide those spaces as well for women to, to be recognized as a victims of the conflict. 
So are you saying that there should be perhaps not so much focus on justice and more focus on listening to the stories of people so that we learn from those experiences? I think so. I think we are in a stage where, I mean, justice has to come with that. But there are still a huge number of stories that are unknown. There are still many gaps in the lives of people who suffer the violence, who have still relatives who are disappeared. They don't know where they are, they don't know what happened with them. And I think this is the time for the victims to be heard. And this is the time for the victims to have to get some some sort of relief of what happened in the past and to have a space to be able to talk. I think significant progress has been made in terms of recognizing the rights of the victims um, through transitional justice mechanisms. But the issue is that not having an assembly is basically a big barrier for those initiatives to move forward and for those procedures to take place to be accountable to the victims and to what happened in the past. So that's a massive difficulty. Again, civil society organizations, victim groups are trying to create those spaces to keep those conversations going while there is no government. But that's not the role. The role is to support victims, not to create those spaces of accountability. But in the absence of government, someone has to do it. Now, the other difficult conversation is about the constitutional question and how we move forward without uh, creating new tensions. I mean, what's your view on that? Well, that's a very difficult question. <laughs> I, think, I think Northern Ireland is, well, this is my humble opinion, and this is from someone who wasn't born or raised here, but after living here for 14 years, I think this is a very, very difficult conversation and I'm not sure that everybody is ready to have it, especially because there are other underlying issues that is, are preventing people to come together into those conversations. I hear this morning in the radio that there was coincidence an event about, and, and you hear how controversial it was because, I mean, I don't want to put it in terms of division, but, but people have their own loyalties and their own commitment to different things. And and it's not only them, it's, it's their families, it's, it's their past, it's the way that they understand their own history. So you cannot come in such an abrupt way talking about the constitutional issues until you don't really address the underlying issues that make people so strange to one on another position. But I do think society is changing and eventually we will get there. Okay, Paul, um, is there anything else that you take away from the conversation that you had with Alex there? I mean, I think to stress, Jar, the point that Alex is saying that we, we mustn't lose sight of the key issues. In a sense, many of those key issues that if, if we weren't worried about the peace process, what would we be thinking about in yeah. Northern Ireland? We would be thinking about how to give people an opportunity in life, whatever their background. We would try to make sure that they were not disadvantaged, that they could overcome the challenges they have in their lives. And those challenges are just as true 
and simply because we're dealing with peace and embedding peace and avoiding you know return of power military power mm-hmm. then actually we shouldn't lose sight of those other challenges in our society okay well that's it for our 11th forward together podcast thanks to alexander for taking the time to meet with us and uh, keep an eye out for future episodes of this podcast through hollywelltrust.com sluggerotool.com and through your podcast provider thanks for listening Community Relations Council for Northern Ireland supports this podcast through its media grant scheme and core funding programme.